cool. Hi, guys. Hi, Zoe. It's nice to see you guys again. Let's just jump straight in. I've got a question for you guys to discuss amongst each other for a second while I set up. I want you to discuss this. Uh, what is something that you believed when you were younger that you later found out wasn't true? Someone you believed when you were younger that you later found out wasn't true? Okay. You want to bring your conversations to an end. Everyone stop the reminiscing. Okay, cool. Can, can I get a few examples from someone? Anyone? The tooth fairy. Okay, that's one. Yeah. Say again. You believe the moon was made out of cheese. Did anyone else actually believe the moon was made out of cheese? Wow. Sorry, bro. That's Wallace and Gromit, though, isn't it? I'll give you a pass. Yeah. Your mum said you were the world's worst kid. <laughs> oh dear, I don't believe that. Any, any other ones? Father Christmas. Father Christmas, classic one. Yeah, yes. Did, that, did you all hear that? When you're walking on the pavement and there's three drain caps in a row and if you step on them, like, you got bad luck. I had one that um, you had to say monkeys and elephants when you did that. Otherwise, like, you'd be cursed. Um, I don't know. For me, actually, I had, a, I had a thing with song lyrics a lot. So the main one was Jailhouse Rock. I thought the first two lines to Jailhouse Rock were incredibly different to what they actually are. Um, and it wasn't until we, my wife and I went to see the new Elvis film uh, and then we were like singing it and she was singing lyrics. I'm like, that, that's not the lyrics. And she was like, no, they are the lyrics. And we went and checked and I was wrong. And um, that was like me, I'd learned this thing when I was young and I was so certain this is the way it should be until, you know, going to do some investigation. We're going to see why that's what I brought up in a second. Uh, but let's dive into the passage and then we'll go from there. If everyone can open your Bibles, you're going to need your Bibles. So open your Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. I'll just read it again real quick. So, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taken consecrated bread. He ate what is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so some context before we go in. I know the youth guys know that I love to like do a real scene set. And my whole thing as well is you've got to put yourself in the story, right? Because it's easy for us to over-familiarize ourselves with this stuff and then like forget what's actually happening. So this is what's going on, right? We're all like 2,000 years ago in Israel and we're all going down to the Jordan because there's this crazy dude there that's preaching, but the stuff that he's saying is like, for real, right? Then here comes this small town dude, and he walks up, and it's like mad normal, he goes and gets baptized. But when he comes up from the baptism, like the whole sky opens, and this like dove-like thing descends on him, and we all hear this huge voice like, you are my son, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then he just dips, he just disappears. We don't see him for like two months, right? And then we all go to synagogue the next day, and uh, not the next day, a couple months later, and this guy turns up. Oh, okay, here he is, that dude from the baptism. Oh, that's weird. And he opens up this scroll and he reads something. And then he says, yeah, uh, this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is complete. 
Now, we're an occupied state. The Romans are ruling over us right now. And he's saying that the goodness of God, the kingdom of God has come. It's like, what is going on? And then he starts driving out demons, casting out spirits, healing people. We cannot overstate when we come into this chapter, the level of expectation that was going on, the buzz, the excitement, because this stuff has never happened before, right? And we first see the first people to come to Jesus are these people on the fringes, right? So the, the people that are ill, um, the lepers who call the sinners. And then after that, you see what the normal people, not normal, but you know what I mean? Um, those people start to come to him. And then the last people to come to him are the Pharisees. So in Luke chapter five, uh, there's a verse that says, verse 17 says, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, the reason this is of note is that um, they weren't the first ones to him, right? The Pharisees weren't expecting him. What happened was the power of God was already moving. And when the power of God is moving through Jesus, then the powers that be begun to take notice. So that's our first clue as to who they are in the story. They weren't the first ones to him. Now, something that we do a lot in church is like, uh, we make the Pharisees like this big old pantomime bad guy. It's like, oh, like he's behind you. And you're like, you know, they're just these big old oafs. They're not stupid, right? There's things that Jesus is saying and teaching that only they get because they are the teachers of the law. Their job is to read and understand. That's why they get so mad at him when he heals a paralyzed man because he says stuff that goes over most of the people's heads, but they get it. So they're not idiots. They're quite locked on, right? Um, their job, like I said, is to read the scripture. There's this quote from uh, this website called The Church News that says this. Um, the John A. Dickerson Bible commentary states that the Pharisees arose prior to the period of the Maccabees and there was a tendency on the part of Jews to adopt Grecian customs. The Pharisees conformed to the strictest manner to the Mosaic institutions. The Pharisees grew out of a movement towards religious purity contained in the priestly code that was developed during the Babylonian exile and stimulated by the religious reformation of Ezra and Nehemiah. So... The way the Pharisees worked as religious leaders at this time, right, is heavily set by the culture that they're in. They've seen what happens when these kings that rule the country are unfaithful to the laws. So they are demanding like strict adherence to the laws. In their mind, it works like this, right? If you're faithful to God and you're faithful to the laws, God's blessings, everything thrives. If you're unfaithful, death, exile. That's how everything works for them. But that isn't just framed by the laws, that's framed by the culture that they're in. They're reading the laws in light of the culture that they're in. So, what is the exact law that they're breaking? Well, it comes from two places in the Torah. One passage is in Exodus, another one's in Deuteronomy. Um, in Exodus 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male, or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that's in them, but he rests on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Deuteronomy passage says pretty much the same thing. There's one key difference. The last verse in Deuteronomy is different. It says, da -da -da, look, you know, Sabbath, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, remember 
that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So from that, what is the Sabbath day for? Two things, to figure out who God is, reflect on who God is, and secondly, to reflect on what he's done. Who God is, he's the creator, that's the Exodus passage, right? He created the world in six days, he rests on the seventh. What he's done, he brought them out of Egypt. And that is an incredibly beautiful practice that we all need to have. If we can be sat once a week on our Sabbath and reflect on who God is, created everything, creates and sustains life, and also what he's done, not just in the Bible, but in our own lives, what that does, it does two things really. It gives us perspective. We reflect on who God is, it helps us zoom out from what's going on in our lives, right? We can look around. God is bigger than us, and so we're focused on something bigger than us. And secondly, it gives us gratitude. If we can think about the things that God has done in our lives and our communities, it helps us to stop getting so bogged down in the details of what we have going on. We can actually appreciate things going on. We can appreciate what God has done. So that's a great thing. Um, that is not what the Pharisees are coming at Jesus for at all, right? Uh, their angle isn't, necessarily about protecting the Sabbath. The reason I think that is this. Um, I'm not, as you can see, a first century Jew, but I find it really tricky to understand that, um, how that constitutes breaking the law. You know, just walking through this field, picking up the grain. It's tricky to understand, but what that does say, it says about the religious climate of the time, there is such fear about breaking the law that you just walking through a field and picking a bit of grain could mean exile for everyone. That is the fear that's instilled. And that isn't something that comes from the law. Again, it comes from the religious climate. They're an occupied country at the time. The culture is setting that kind of precedent. That's one thing. The other thing is, look, while they're trying to ensure submission to the law, they're trying to gatekeep the power as well. The Pharisees are the ones that hold access to understanding. They want to have a monopoly on the understanding of God's will. The reason we can say this is just later on in, in Luke chapter 6, um, Jesus says some stuff and he heals a paralyzed man, and they start to consider killing him. Do not murder is a law. In the very same passage, they're saying don't break this law. So they can't care that much about the laws if they're willing to consider killing someone. You know, their heart is really shown as a position that they're trying to hold on to. So, what is Jesus' response? Well, in, in standard Jesus fashion, he kind of cuts right to the heart of what's going on. He doesn't play about with them and he addresses them on their level. He says, haven't you read? Now, I think that's an incredibly rhetorical question. I think if that was me, um, it would be very sarcastic because of course they've read. Like that's their job is just to read and read and read. Of course they've read. So he's not asking just have they read. He's asking, do you understand, right? The scripture that he then brings up on the surface isn't directly associated with the Sabbath, right? It's something that's like, you kind of have to try and figure out how, why that links, which is the whole point. Um, so he brings up this passage, it's in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, um, and it's this incredible story. So this key point in uh, the story of Israel and there's this point where there's this old king that's lost God's blessing and here's coming the chosen one and he's about to lead the nation into some new territory they've never been in before. And uh, King Saul decides, okay, had enough, I'm gonna kill David. So this is the first point that David starts to flee and goes, I'm not, I'm not trying to be around this guy, he's gonna kill me. So as he's fleeing, he gets all his men, he's about to go somewhere else and he stops at a priest's 
um, temple, a priest temple, yeah. He stops at a temple and uh, asks the priest, can I have some bread for my men? The priest asks, of course, we've only got the holy bread, da, 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 right? And so on and so forth, that's what Jesus said. And when you're reading that in like the midst of everything that's happening in 1 Samuel, you don't see how that could link to Sabbath, right? But we've got to look for things that can connect. The bread is holy in that, in that passage. The bread that is given is holy. David refers to his men as holy. In the laws that we just read, the Sabbath is holy. Okay, so holiness is our link. That's how we're seeing what the connection is, right? The definition of holiness, is any, just out of interest, anyone know the definition of holiness? Just off the top of their head like this. Amazing, set apart. Um, yeah, something that's dedicated or consecrated to God, something that's set apart. So Jesus is now trying to highlight something deeper about what the law means. There's a deeper nuance that Jesus is trying to teach. Um, the law, Romans 13, 9 to 10. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands that may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is an understanding that Jesus had from reading the scriptures, right? He understood that the story of David shows that the law is subject to love. The priest understood the law. Again, that was his job. And in that moment, the law would say, the bread is only for this. But he understood that love is the point of the law so he could give David the bread. This is a nuance that is so, so important because it shows an understanding that you don't get if you don't read the scriptures in light of itself. Instead of bringing culture and opinions to it, you have to read it in light of itself. We love to say this whole thing of, like the Bible is this big story and it's the living word, whatever. If we believe that, we have to treat it like that, right? Again, it's easy to go, the Bible says this or the Bible says that, but are we really getting what it means? If we treat it like it's this big story, we have to read it front to back, back to front. This part with this part, what does this part mean? Like compare all of these things to get a full understanding of what the living word is, right? We get the full picture from reading the laws in light of the narrative. Then you read the narrative in light of the prose and you read the prose in light of the poems and you read the poems in light of the laws. And from that, you get this full picture of how the Holy Spirit works in an individual's life and how we can work through people. That makes sense? Okay, good. Just making sure you're still with me. So, laws of light, narrative, narrative, prose, prose, poems, right? Where we do that, we get this full picture. Here's an example. I want everyone to shut your eyes. Clear heads, shut your mind. Eyes, not mind. Mind on. Okay, think of someone that you consider to be a close friend. What was your first impression of them? Did you like them straight away? What about when you met their family members? What about when you saw them in different social situations? What about when they went through a hard time? What about when you went through a hard time? Okay, open your eyes. Do you guys see how full a picture of that person that you had? How did that compare to your first impression of them? It doesn't compare at all, does it? The first impression is so surface 
and you having this full experience, seeing them in different social situations, seeing them in different life situations, helps you to know how to go by them, how to communicate with them, how to communicate about them with other people. You can never like describe, oh yeah, I know that person just off a of first impression. And it's the same thing with the Bible, it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit, you know? And that is what the Pharisees lacked. They lacked the nuance of that. Jesus read the laws in light of David's life. And he read David's life in light of the laws and he concluded that man wasn't made for the Sabbath, Sabbath is made for the man. No, or is that the way around? One of the two. Man. Yeah, man isn't made for Sabbath. I was right. And that's in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He understood and was wholly shaped by the Holy Spirit, not culture or a protection of power as the Pharisees were. And that meant that whatever situation he would find himself in, he could bring glory to God because his priorities were right. His priorities are always about glorifying God. So wherever he would find himself, he could glorify God in that, right? Why is this important for us? Well, we, as we all know, we're all like living in this world where like there's a super craving for wisdom and for knowledge and people continually trying to pursue hope and, and, um, and just joy and peace. And we actually have the answer to that. And just really quickly, if you're not a Christian here, right? What we believe, who we follow, we believe in a God that loves us and came to this earth to live as we live, understand the pressures and pain that we go through, remain faithful to, um, to God in the way he wants us to live the whole time and died for everything that we get wrong, right? Didn't leave it there. He raised again, he was resurrected so that we could have that hope eternally that whatever happens here will be resurrected, we'll live with him eternally. That is an incredible joy, that we can cling to daily. However, if we forget that last part that Jesus resurrected, that he's alive, what we do is we just make it a formula, right? I was having a chat with my dad, not this week, last week, I think, um, when I was writing this talk, and he was saying about how nowadays there's, there's not just the pressure to be successful, but there's this pressure to have the, the correct formula with it. So people don't want to just display oh, I got there, you also feel the pressure to display, this is what I did as well together, I, I figured out, I've got the right formula, right? And that comes from social media, comes from internet, all these different things. And what happens is if we forget that God is alive, we forget the spirit is alive, it just becomes like one plus one equals two, or you know, follow God and means you do this and do this, you'll be saved. And on one level that might be right, but we end up forgetting the true wisdom and the guidance that comes from being in an active relationship with someone that's alive when we try and simplify it to that formula. And if we really want change in our communities, we have to be in step with the spirit. We have to, there's no other way to do it. Um, and that comes from a nuanced understanding of scripture. That's how um, at the start of the year, a lot of people do Daniel fast, right? That's how some people can be fasting and some people can be feasting and both can be to the glory of God because they're so in step with the Spirit in their own life, they understand what the Spirit is guiding them to and how to glorify God in whatever situation they find themselves in. So how do we do this? Um, there's two key things, maturity and humility, right? We have to be mature enough to realize that we don't know it all. We don't know everything. We have the answer, yes, but we don't know everything. And we have to be humble enough to accept who Christ is without bringing my personal bias and my personal opinion to what he's saying. Allow him to be who he said he is, right? This is really tricky. Like, I find it very hard still to, like, I don't know, like admit if 
I thought a lyric was a particular thing, that it's actually not that thing. Or even maybe more seriously, there's maybe beliefs and thoughts that I had like before I got married that I was like, this is for sure the way it's got to be. And then you, you share your life with someone, all of a sudden, oh, actually, maybe that's not the way it should be. I have to be mature enough to admit and realize, you know what? What I learned could be true, but it's deeper than just the surface thing that I knew. If not, I run this, this, this dangerous road of being like the Pharisees where I'm going, nope, what I learned was true, that's it, that's the way it's gotta be for everyone. And that's out of fear, that's out of trying to protect your power, and ultimately it drains all the joy and all the life out of any life-giving, joyous practice that you may have, you know? We've gotta be willing to learn, we've gotta be willing to grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 and 12 says, when I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know in full, even as I am fully known. And also, like, if you guys realize, in this talk, we've jumped all around the Bible right? This part, this part, this part. And this is kind of the point, is if we really take the scriptures and compare them with each other, we get a full understanding and knowledge that propels us through our life. It's honestly the most incredible thing. That is where the Holy Spirit really comes alive to us. And that's what gives us the rejuvenation. Imagine we did this weekly, daily, the joy and peace that we would find living with him daily, you know? I'm struggling with this thing. Oh, well, what does this say? Okay, how does that connect to what this says? Okay, cool. And you wrestle over that. You do that with the Bible. You do that with God through prayer. You do that with each other in community. If we're doing that amongst each other, it just spills out. This passage here, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 12, the very next verse, the thing that we all need to remember to keep us going through it, the greatest of these is love. In everything that we do, we have to remember to love each other because that is the fulfillment of the laws. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so, so, so much for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and we thank you that you're alive. We just pray that we would continue to remember as we rest on our Sabbath, Lord, to seek you. Help us to not be um, more formed by our culture and, and our opinions, our worldviews, than we are by you, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us all uh, to seek you above all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.